This is James Hahn II, and you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is episode 75.5. episodes are my chance to speak with entrepreneurs, executives, and thought leaders from inside and outside the industry, to hear their stories, what inspires their work, what culture drives their company, what innovations they're bringing to the oil field. My guest today is Melanie Didaro. Melanie is the founder of Top Dog Social Media and is widely recognized as Canada's number one LinkedIn expert and social media strategist. She founded Top Dog Social Media to help brands, businesses, professionals, and sales teams use social media platforms and social selling tactics to boost their visibility, attract new customers, and increase revenue. She is the best-selling author of The LinkedIn Code and is regularly quoted by CTV Edmonton, CTV BC, Globe and Mail, Wall Street Journal, Astral Media, San Francisco Business Times, Toronto Star, National Post, Vancouver Sun, and Rogers Media. She has amassed a slew of awards for her work, including Best Social Media Marketing Company in 2012 and 2013 by Promotion World, Top 5 Finalist for Best Online Marketer 2013 by Small Business BC, and one of the highly coveted Top 10 Social Media Blogs is named by Social Media Examiner in 2014. Melanie is highly respected by her marketing peers, including New York Times bestselling author Jay Baer. When I asked him who he recommends as a guest to discuss LinkedIn with her audience, he gave Melanie a ringing endorsement and promptly introduced us. She joined me via Google Hangouts from her home in British Columbia, Canada. So tell us about yourself. Um, no, tell us about yourself because uh, where do you live? I live in uh, the beautiful British Columbia, Canada, uh, in Kelowna, BC, actually, which is the Okanagan region, uh, wine region of Canada. It's actually hitting the... Uh, world stage now for one of the top wine regions in the world which is pretty cool so you're gonna have to send mr mark lacour a bottle of malbec from up there yeah. then because that's I, that's his yeah. drink of choice okay yes we do have <laughs> lots of really nice wines here and how did you get involved in social media Oh my goodness. Okay, that's a long story. So I, um, for well over a decade, owned brick and mortar businesses and uh, sold them. And when I had sold them, I had just written a book. And this was not the LinkedIn code, my current book. This is uh, uh, my first attempt at being an author years and years ago. And I had just also started using social media, you know, around that time. And I was like, gosh, you know, how does one promote a book? I was really good at marketing my businesses, <laughs> but I spent a lot of money doing it, you know, using traditional media, so radio, newspaper, TV, you know, all those kind of traditional uh, methods. And when I wrote my book, I was like, gosh, how do you promote a $20 book? And as I started using social media, and I was a very reluctant social media user, I just really did not have the desire to be online and have everybody know things about me, which is really kind of ironic now when I look back and reflect at how things have, you know, so 
um, vastly changed in my life. Um, but it was about it was that book that made me realize that hey, this you know social media might be a good tool. So I actually dove in and studied everything that I possibly could for like three straight years, like literally becoming a full time student, studying everything I could about digital marketing, social media, and uh, getting really good at it over time and. Obviously, three years, I was a bit of a slow learner, you might say. <laughs> but it was a new tool to all of us. And in fact, most of the people out, uh, out there at the time really didn't know how to use it. We were playing with it. It was trial by error. And when some you know, proven strategies came into play, uh, that was great. And I started having a lot of success with it and had businesses reaching out to me on a regular basis saying, Melanie, you know, I really love what you're doing with social media. Can you help me or can you help our business? I'm like, sure. And that's really how my company, Top Dog Social Media, uh, got started. It was through people reaching out to me and, uh, and requesting help. So um, um, you just gave the 100% profile of everyone in oil and gas when it comes to, first of all, reluctance to get involved with digital, as well as traditional marketing. I want to dig into that because you said for 10 years you own brick and mortar and you were doing traditional marketing. What exactly were you executing? Because I have, a, I have a pretty good feeling that plenty of the people that are going to listen to this interview are doing exactly what you used to do. Yeah, I mean, things have really changed. And so one of the things that I would not, I will not ever say, I, I hear a lot of digital, you know, marketers say, all you need to do is online stuff now. And yeah, that's I, wrong. I totally disagree with that. I very much disagree with that. I believe in a holistic strategy that incorporates online and offline channels. I'm a big believer in picking up the friggin' phone. <laughs> and I had to say friggin' phone because gosh, so many people are just stuck with online tools. They never figure out how to move those offline. And guess what? At the end of the day, you don't build relationships, real relationships online. You start them online. And I've started many online where I've, I've got you know, amazing business relationships, amazing personal friendships, amazing relationships with all the other experts in the industry and all that through online. But you know, when that relationship really was solidified was when I'd meet them offline, whether it's you know, via a Skype call or a phone call or actually out, you know, in person at an event. That's when the relationships really uh, go deeper. So from a marketing perspective, you know, you need to be where your clients are. And if you've got, uh, you know, a, a large uh, majority of your clients that are still picking up the newspaper and reading it, then maybe you need to still be there. Uh, you know, is your, your target audience, you know, watching TV? And if so, if so what TV shows are, you might want to still be there. But at the end of the day, no matter what, you can't avoid digital. You can't. It's just what is the first thing that people do when they want to learn about anything? Google. They go to Google. I mean, over 50% of the traffic to my website every single month comes from Google searches. And that's because I create a lot of content. I create a lot of content on my blog. And so I'm showing up organically in the search results. I'm a social media expert. I share content across all social media platforms. How is it that Google is generating more traffic for me than any other social network? The reason is that, that they all synergistically work together. 
right? So every single time I'm sharing content on Google, on uh, social networks, I'm driving more traffic to my website, which is increasing my search rankings, which is making me show up higher in Google searches. So it all kind of works together. You know, we've heard those, you know, the messages in the past about, you know, how many times a consumer needs to see a message before they actually take action. You know, it's multiple times. I've heard it seven, eight. I've heard it's up to 12. I mean, who knows? There's always a new number. But the, the key uh, message is that they do need to see it multiple times. So find them online and offline, and that's key. When you talked about what you were doing, though, you did mention spending a lot of money. And I'm not in any way an advocate of scrapping offline. I completely agree with you there. I do, however, believe that there are plenty of companies who could optimize their marketing spend by taking some of the, some or a good portion or however that works for the business and investing more in digital. There's no question about that. I mean, that is where we are. And if you're ignoring it, uh, you know, there's challenges with, it, with ignoring it. And I know, you know, in industries, in many industries, in the oil and gas uh, industry is one of them, that there's so much fear around, you know, people posting anything negative or, or about, you know, negative engagement or anything like that. And, you know, people are going to be posting negative things regardless. And the only way you're going to know about them is if you're there. And then if you're there, you actually have the ability to deal with those things. People want to see how you deal with those things. So don't be afraid uh, because it's worse not to be there, not know what's going on. I completely agree. If we aren't telling our story, then guess who is? Right. Someone who someone who who is fundamentally against everything we stand for, and th would you rather have that conversation happening? Oh, I don't know, across the country where you can't reach them, or or actually have a a reasonable conversation in your own house, digital exactly. house being that way. Exactly. No, I totally agree with you, James. So. Let's talk about LinkedIn then, because that is really your sweet spot. And your journey in social, we talked about it a little bit just now on the Oil & Gas Careers podcast, which anybody who's listening to this need to go check out that, that interview. It's phenomenal. But in, in regard to this, let's talk about LinkedIn from an enterprise level. But first of all, tell us, because you, you gave us the background on how you got involved in social how did you get involved in B2B specifically? Because LinkedIn is not the number one tool that many marketing type people think of in terms of, I'm going to specialize in this. Yeah, you know, well, it fits my personality. So I am very much not a typical social media person, if you will. <laughs> so you know, because I'm very much an entrepreneur, and I always say that I'm an entrepreneur first, social media second. Uh, I look at everything through the lens of business, and does it make sense, and is there an ROI, and how can you track the results, and so forth. And so, you know, many social media tools uh, make that difficult to do. It's, it's really hard to track the results. Let's say, for example, you know, revenue results from like a tool like Twitter. I can easily, uh, I can easily track how much 
traffic goes to my website via Twitter, but it's a little bit more hard to really kind of determine what the, the end result of that's going to be. Whereas when I'm working with B2B companies, enterprise level companies, most often I'm working with two groups. One is the executives to make sure that they are representing the company at a very uh, high level, that their personal brand and the company's brand is being, uh, is being represented really well with professional profiles. And the second level is, uh, is the sales teams and really making sure that the sales teams have the same, but also understand how to use this as a lead generation tool, how they can actually prospect on LinkedIn and change the whole concept of cold calling into warm calls because you can start and establish a relationship there. But again, I mentioned this earlier, you know, at the end of the day, it's always about moving that conversation offline because that's where real business happens. Unless, of course, you're selling a widget or something like that, which doesn't apply to this industry. So, you know, it's about moving those conversations offline where uh, and building a relationship, building some rapport, adding value to your target audience, staying top of mind. Uh, you know, all these things are so easy to do on LinkedIn, in addition to, of course, recruiting, which is the area that most people really kind of still see LinkedIn, although it's evolved to be so much more than that over the years. It's really become, uh, you know, it is the number one business social network on the planet. Nothing even comes close to it in terms of uh, you know, the uh, stakeholder that they've got in that particular space. So you mentioned two different groups, executives and sales. Let's take these one at a time because one of the problems that I see across the industry of oil and gas in this regard is either executives are not present at all or they're barely present and most of them don't even have a picture in their profile. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least, and I understand because I work with a lot of companies where, you know, the executives aren't, are, aren't responsible for generating, uh, you know, sales, especially if they're not, you know, a VP of sales or something like that or VP marketing. They're having a hard time in understanding why they should be spending a, a tremendous amount of time on LinkedIn. And for some, it might just be that they don't need to spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. However, Having said that, as an executive, you do need to make sure that you have a really good profile because people do want to know who you are when they're doing business with you, and that's often the first place that they're going to look. So what happens when somebody's thinking about doing business with you or somebody's meeting you for the first time and they want to know more about you? They Google your name, and your LinkedIn profile is going to show up at the top of the search results. And even if it shows up in the second spot or even the third spot, it's the place that people know that they can find out about you, so it's often the very first thing they'll click on. And so I always say, you know, your LinkedIn profile is often your very first online impression. What kind of impression are you currently making online? One of the things that I know is extremely important to executives in the oil field is invest, investor relations. When it comes to if they're a public company, obviously having people invest in the keep investing in the company or if they're a private company trying to attract private equity and that's a major miss in a, in a sort of connecting of the dots that I'm doing right here that if you are very conscious of your stock price and people know you're the CEO of insert oil field company here and they go to your profile and see that it doesn't exist or that you have one line and no picture, 
what does that do for them feeling like they're going to be comfortable investing in your company? That's just off the top of my head. That's just what I'm thinking about. And that's such a perfect example, James, because in, in those situations, you know, that, that would, could create a little bit of, uh, you know, unease and a little bit of um, just, you know, wonder and worry around, okay, well, who, who are the people that are running this company? Like, they don't even have a presence. Are they ghosts? What are they trying to hide, you know? Yeah, and, 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 yeah, but I think a really good point to follow up on that because I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing executives because I'm not in the way that I'm, you know, you're absolutely right the way that you said. Not, not every executive needs to be super active on LinkedIn, and they, but they at least need a presence. And the point is that I'm getting to here is that they've all got assistants that could very easily manage any sort of inflow in communication that comes through that profile. Absolutely. When when I create campaigns for uh, for people, like for example, uh, you know, if it's somebody that's looking at growing their business with LinkedIn, I'll write their profile for them. I'll create like a lead generation message sequence that they'll use. I'll provide a, a checklist of the things that they should do on a daily and weekly basis, and then a video tutorial showing them how to implement it. And I always say, you know. You shouldn't be doing this yourself. You can be hiring somebody, uh, a virtual assistant, or, or you know, if you've got an assistant already, to take care of this for you. You just deal with anything that comes your way. That's, uh, you know, that if somebody's responding to something, or or whatever, then you want to be on top of that because there's so many things that you can have somebody do, and you know, posting content about uh, the industry and the company news and. Uh, you know, on status updates is really good to stay top of mind as well as you're building a network. Yeah, really great stuff. Really great stuff. Let's talk about sales. A lot of salespeople listen to this show, so they're going to love hearing from you about lead generation. I have yeah. one little tactic, but I know that you have a treasure trove, so let's go there. Yeah, well, you know, with uh, with sales, the, the, the thing that's great about LinkedIn is that 99% of the people out there manage their own LinkedIn profiles. They're not, they're not uh, delegating it to somebody else. And so you have ungated access to decision makers. Now, having said that, you can't abuse that and you have to approach it in the right way. And if your profile's all filled with, you know, what a great salesperson you are and all your great sales awards, oh my goodness, you're going to have some red flags by those uh, C-suite executives. They're not going to be wanting to accept your connection request because they know what's coming next. You know, so one of the things that I do <clears throat> when I'm working with sales teams is I help them tone down the whole sales messaging and become very client-focused on, again, you know, who are their ideal clients? What are the problems they have? What are some of the solutions that, you know, we offer to solve those problems and so forth? So really, really kind of speaking to them and not making it all about you. And so if you've got, you know, you're talking about, you know, your sales words and you're making it all about you, uh, you're going to quickly lose them. So once you've got your profile laid out in a manner in which, you know, will resonate with the target audience you're going after, then you want to create an outreach plan. And that outreach plan consists of, you know, sending a personalized connection request followed by a sequence of uh, a few more messages over the course of, you know, maybe one a week where you'll just start to open up a dialogue. Uh, you'll start to, uh, you know, build some rapport, maybe add some value, not maybe, definitely add some value. So if you're a salesperson going after a specific 
you know, type of company or, you know, whatever, I would be speaking to the problems that they have in some content. I'd be having a couple of content, key signature pieces of content that can be used that would be a very much of interest to them. And these are, this is a way that you can easily approach them by sharing something of value to them. Hey, I'm not sure if you saw this article about X. You know, it was really interesting because, um, you know, I found this and this in it, or, you know, it could be an article that you've written or that somebody else has written, but it's just kind of a conversation opener as well, but adding value. It's something that's specifically of interest to them. So one of the, so the mistakes that salespeople make is they usually collect connections. You know, they send out a whole bunch of connection requests and don't do anything with them or they go in for the kill immediately. <laughs> right, yeah, I get that all the time. Yeah. Hi, James. Da, 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 da. I'm like, bro, I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they start to try to sell and pitch right away, and you don't sell and pitch online. You do that offline. You use this as a way to start to establish a relationship and ultimately move the conversation offline, whereas a salesperson, you can then have that conversation with them, discover and understand what problems they're facing, and then, you know, talk about some of the solutions that you offer to help one, them with that. So, you know, that is, uh, you know, it's, people make two mistakes on, on LinkedIn and other social media sites. They either go in for the kill too quickly or they don't ever try to move that conversation offline at all. And it just stays online and nothing happens. Yeah, and, I, and I've talked to you plenty of times and everyone listening probably knows my, when people connect with me, my messaging and that's to open a conversation. And the goal of that conversation, if they're a prospect, is to set up a phone call. That's, that's what it's all about, setting up that phone call, getting it out of LinkedIn and into the real world. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I, I don't necessarily want to push back, but I think if I was listening, maybe I could have been a little confused because you, you mentioned no sales awards or at least limiting the sales awards, I think in my perspective, in, and I knowing this industry, people love results in this industry and they love them any, anywhere, right? So maybe what, and I'm, I'm trying to summarize, so t tell me if I'm wrong, what you're really getting at is don't be a hypey hype machine about how awesome you are, but instead, Talk about actual results. So if you, if you got a sales award, what were the actual results you drove for a business behind that? Because that, that could communicate more. Or do we have a disagreement here? Yeah, I would, I would disagree with that. I would say that I would just not even mention the sales awards. But you are absolutely right, James, uh, with what, what you're talking about with people are looking for results. The results that they're looking for are their results, not yours. So at the end of the day, nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about me. They only care about how we can help them. Mm. So yes, talk about client results. Client results. Client results. Client results that you have gotten. Yeah, that your company has gotten. That how you got, you know, or how you have helped your clients get. How your company has helped the the clients in general get. You know, those are the kind of results that they're interested in. They only care about how we can help them. They're not interested in us in the least. Now, having said that, if at some point in time as a sales professional, you decide that you want to look for a job, then you're going to want to insert some of those sales awards in there because those, that will be helpful for you. But they're not going to be helpful in closing business. Mm. 
Great point. Great point. So let's talk about then closing business. What are some of the things that you can do? Because we've, we've talked, you know, a little bit about expanding your network over on Oil and Gas Careers podcast. One of the things that I am really dying to ask you about is your your opinion on the current state of groups on LinkedIn, because there seemed to be a point in time where they were very valuable. And I don't know if it's just within our industry or what the case is, but they don't seem to be as valuable as they used to be, or maybe there's just different techniques that need to be applied in today's LinkedIn world. That, no, that's a great question, James. I, I have too have found that LinkedIn groups are not as effective as they used to be. There's far less engagement on them. And uh, one of the reasons for that is that, uh, you know, when a group owner or a group manager, some, whoever's responsible for moderating that group doesn't do a good job moderating it, uh, it starts to get filled with spam. And as soon as it starts to get filled with spam, people start to overlook it. The other problem with groups is that, you know, LinkedIn used to inundate people with uh, emails <laughs> for daily oh, yeah. digests. Oh, yeah. Daily digests from groups. And it would be like, oh, my goodness. There's an easy way to shut those all off. You can do that in your privacy and settings. You can go and shut that all off. You can change it to weekly. You can change it to not at all, uh, which I had done a long time ago because it drove me crazy in the beginning too, getting, you know, 50 emails per day on the daily digests of the groups. So where groups are still effective is, is, is in expanding your network. So I mentioned this in an earlier interview that you and I did, James, where I talked about the importance of growing your network because you can only find people and people can only find you if you're part of their first, second, or third degree network or the share the same group. So as a sales professional, this is going to be really important that they grow their network and what better way to grow your network with qualified prospects than choosing targeted LinkedIn groups? You know, one of the mistakes that many people make when they choose LinkedIn groups is they choose all their industry-specific groups, not necessarily the groups where their ideal clients are. So it's the, it's the groups that you want to be joining that have your ideal clients, not just industry groups. So, like, for example, if, you know, you have a specific type of client, uh, maybe it's an industrial-type client or a whatever type client join some industrial type groups you know you want to be looking at the different types of groups where your target audience is uh you know a member of and then join those and this massively and exponentially increases your network immediately so let's say for example you join 50 groups and the average of these groups has anywhere between you know 5,000 members to 250,000 members well you've just expanded your network by millions of people Mm. all targeted mm. that that that's powerful <laughs> that's yeah so that's, that's how i use groups now uh there are still some groups that are good and that people will still refer to but there's a lot that you know they get neglected over time too you know where the the owners kind of gets bored of them and stops moderating or stops accepting things and so i think that that's what i found is that there's some fatigue uh, that's really kind of set in around groups. But that's a really great point. Shift your focus away from the activity within the group and know that if you're part of a of a massive group with thousands and thousands of people, it don't be disappointed if it's not if it's not an active group because you're able There's, to use that to leverage that to grow your network. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's still uh, there's still opportunity there. And from um, you know from the advanced search functionality. So let's say for example you were looking for a specific type of person. So you know you had a specific title that you were looking for. Let's say you know VP of marketing for example. Uh, and you wanted only to select the people that are members of this particular group, which is a specific targeted area that you're going after. You then, like, you could get so refined in your search that you could produce a result of all those specific people that you're looking for that are a member of one specific group. Mm. So there's lots of really great things that you can do to to leverage that, uh, you know. And if you do have groups that you're a part of that there does have some some good engagement and discussions and conversations happening in them, there they are great opportunities to uh, to jump in, add some value, and and get on the radar of some people. And a lot of times that will result in people reaching out to you. Um, but you know, don't even look at it like that. And if that happens, great. Well, we talked about executives. We talked about sales. I want to be respectful of your time, but I have to get your perspective on how enterprise level businesses can use LinkedIn. Not necessarily, I mean, we can get deep into recruiting, that's a whole thing, but I'm very curious to hear any best practices or anything you have to say about a company's activity on LinkedIn on their business profile. Yeah, so that's a great question. It's a question I get asked all the time. So, you know, as a company, you need to have a business, uh, you know, a company page on LinkedIn. You should be sharing, you know, some good content. Content marketing should definitely be part of your overall, you know, marketing strategy and your LinkedIn company page is a great place for you to share that. You could then have, you know, all your employees connected to that page, sharing that same content as the status updates on their personal profiles. You can be sponsoring that content to get it, uh, you know, in front of the eyeballs of the people that you want it to be in front of. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you can definitely get some traction there. But at the end of the day, you know, where the real results on LinkedIn has always come from is it, your personal profile, the personal profiles, because at the end of the day, people want to deal with people, not a logo. Mm. So it's much more important to focus on the executives and the sales team than it, than it is to focus on what how much content we're sharing on our on our well, business page. Well, I think the I think that you don't you don't in this particular situation you don't choose between both. You need both. Now, in other circumstances, if I was dealing with a really small business and they didn't have very many employees and they were in a local geographic region, you know, I would say to them, you know what, maybe you can go, go without a company page or do very little to it. Uh, but in this case, it could be an amazing place for you, the company, uh, to be sharing the content that they want their employees to be sharing. That is such a great point. Engaging your employees to accelerate the expansion of your brand. That's yeah. something that, that I've done in the past. And once you can get your employees sharing, and one thing to define for anybody in this industry that doesn't know what content marketing is, content marketing is blogging, it's video content, it's what you're listening to right now. This is content marketing. This is a way for me to drive traffic to my site and eventually another site that you'll hear about soon, folks. Um, but when we talk about content marketing, what we're fundamentally talking about is content that, that adds value to your ideal client's life and business. And Melanie, maybe you can talk through a little bit about content marketing and the way that it helps your business. Because I know 
you didn't start off writing a lot about LinkedIn. Next thing you know, you're getting a lot of traffic from LinkedIn, so you started doing more of that. Can you talk through content marketing a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. Content marketing is the, gosh, the most important aspect of digital marketing. You know, it's where you are producing the content that, uh, that your clients, that your stakeholders, that your employees, that everybody can be reading, sharing, and getting out there. And, and so, you know, in most cases, a, a lot of the content that's produced is, you know, text-based, uh, articles, blogs, uh, as James mentioned, you know, it can be videos, it can be podcasts, it can be infographics, it can be all kinds of different things, short form, long form. At the end of the day, it's really about figuring out what your ideal clients are most interested in, producing content that kind of fits that, and looking at the different uh, mediums that you can use. Um, it, it, it's, it's essential, and it also is providing you the opportunity to get in front of a lot more eyeballs. So it's going to help with, uh, you know, a number of different things. So for example, when I started my company, uh, Top Dog Social Media, one of the two main things that I did was blogging and LinkedIn. And within three months, I had every single local organization, this is in the early days, reach out to me and ask me to come speak at events and so forth. Like, you, you know, just those couple of things were producing such great results for me. And, you know, going back to LinkedIn, one of the things that I always do is I monitor my Google Analytics. I look at what content that I'm creating is producing the greatest results. You know, an evergreen content is the type of content that will continue to generate results and traffic for you month after month after month. In evergreen, in evergreen, just define that for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. Evergreen is content that, you know, that has a long lifespan. So, for example, you know, if I write an article about something that's happening in Facebook's algorithm today or LinkedIn or whatever, and it's specific on what's going on right now, that's not evergreen. That's that's absolutely fine to do and that can produce some really great results. In fact, probably the article that generated the most results for me ever was uh, you know, a very uh, news specific uh, topic that I did that was, you know, had a very short lifespan, but it drove massive traffic in a short period of time. That's well and that's all well and good. And I, I don't mind having content like that, but I want a lot of my content and the vast majority of my content to continue to drive results. So I've got articles on my blog that have been producing, you know, thousands upon thousands of visitors every single month for years, which is mind blowing because, you know, most people, when they look at social media content, if they see that that content was produced more than a year ago, they're not even interested in reading it. So it just goes to show that, um, you know, if you've got really good, you know, search rankings and a good title and a good topic and good content that people are going to keep coming back to it. And it's going to keep driving traffic for, for a very long period of time. Well, let's, let's make this practical at the enterprise level because it's, it's, it would be easy for any type of higher senior leader that would be listening, say, okay, well, that's, that's all well and good. Melanie and James, you own small businesses. That, that is going to take so much work and my marketing team is already stretched to the max. How, how in the world are we going to go out there and, and what is the benefit? And going back to the investor relations deal, I think from, from the operator's perspective, so we talk upstream, midstream, downstream, and services, services in this industry, that's a, that's a no-brainer. I mean, if, if you own a service company, you have things to sell. And 
you need people visiting your website, filling out, filling out forms and becoming leads. And when it comes to, you know, upstream operators, they're going to be more concerned about investor relations, whether that be public or private. And there's huge opportunities in content marketing that no one is taking advantage of in this industry right now. I mean, very, very few people. Maybe I can speak to National Oil Well Varco because we just had them on, but Shell is a very good at this. There's a handful of companies that do it really well. And then in, in midstream and downstream, I, I just think it's, it's very much non-existent. So Melanie, if you could walk us through, because I know you work with a lot of enterprise clients, what are some of the results and benefits that you've been able to, to help people realize at the enterprise level? Here's the biggest thing, James, is that most people today, when they're looking at who to do business with, do the vast majority of their research online before ever speaking to a salesperson. So like 87% of the buyer's journey is already complete before even having a conversation with a salesperson. And the companies that are first to educate the consumers are usually the ones that they choose to do business with. So, you know, th those are just the, the results, the stats, and those numbers, you know, may vary. They may go up a or down a little bit, but they're consistently very, very strong. So your company, your organization needs to be the one that's doing the educating, because if you're not, somebody else is going to. And, you know, when you were saying, you know, many companies might say, oh, gosh, you know, my, my marketing uh, department's just slammed as it is. Well, if they're so busy... And they're not focusing on the most important part of marketing, then there's a problem. Then you need to, you know, go back and look at what are we focusing on and what, you know, what goals and objectives might we need, we need to change to get better results. Uh, you know, press releases. So we talk about investor relations. Press releases are a form of content marketing, but they're very specific to investor relations, not so specific to, you know, end user clients or the specific types of clients that you want to be attracting. So, I mean, if you think about press releases, uh, that is a form of content. If you think back years and years ago, which actually still happens today, you remember back in you know, when we'd be reading newspapers and magazines, when they'd have these big advertorials, mm -hmm. it'd be like a story, right? It would be a story written all about uh, whatever to promote something. Um, but an advertorial worked better than an advertisement. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing today, you know, you, and storytelling has become such an important part. And in the oil and gas industry, there's, you know, a lot of stories that you could be sharing and, you know, also looking at, you know, if, if you're doing any cause marketing, you know, kind of sharing those stories in it, as long as you don't do it like Coke. I have a real big problem with companies like Coke, <laughs> Coca-Cola, that put out videos uh, about fighting obesity. You know, mm -hmm. it's just so incongruent. You need to stay congruent in your messaging and your storytelling and all that with, you know, your industry. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you mentioned press releases because this has happened throughout my marketing career within oil and gas where I'm working with a client on content and they send me their first blog post and it is literally a press release. I hate using the word literally, but it actually applies here. It's a press okay. release. And what's interesting is that the difference between a press release and a really great blog post is about 5%. It's just the conversational aspect in the, I'm really glad you, you mentioned educating that. I think that's the key, the conversation and the education that happens. And so 
if you're going, where am I going to find content? Look in your email outbox is a good place. You're, you're answering questions all day long there, but also at the enterprise level, you probably have a, a lot of press releases that you could draw from that you could repurpose into really great content. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, it, you know, it comes down to education-based marketing. Is what you're sharing educational in nature, if it is? And I love what you just said. That's actually one of the things that I tell everybody, James, is go through your list of like the 20 most frequently asked questions you get. And each of those can be a piece of content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're so so I'll give you another example. Like, so I've created a ton of content around how to create a great LinkedIn profile, how to create you know, a lead generation plan on LinkedIn, how to do this, how to do that. And then, so I've create, created big topics like that where I've talked about, you know, profile and, and gone into breaking it down into steps and providing a little bit on each step. And then I've actually gone in and created micro content, which is an entire blog post on one little tiny topic. Like, so for example, one of my blog posts was just how to write a great LinkedIn headline. Mm. And that was an entire blog post and it got major traction, lots of, and it was just such a, like a, such a small little micro topic within a larger topic. So, you know, have your big topics, you know, and then break them down into little micro topics. Literally that could, if you do that one exercise, that could be a year's worth of content. Yeah, it could be a year's worth of content. And I'm pretty sure that I could pretty much spend the rest of the year talking to you about this topic because we're just getting going here. But I know that you got to get going and I've got plenty of things to do as well. You mentioned your book earlier. I think everyone listening to this show needs to go get it in. And if I'm not mistaking, that's at the LinkedIn code.com. Is that right? Yes, it is the LinkedIn code.com. Yep. The LinkedIn code.com. And then if people want to know more about you and your what you mentioned i think you mentioned it once it's topdogsocialmedia.com yeah so topdogsocialmedia.com is the the website that i do all my blogging on uh, and the linkedin code talks a little bit about you know the book and, and some of the linkedin uh, related uh, services i offer uh, one other little bonus gift here for your listeners james uh, i recently created a little LinkedIn ROI calculator and it's an Excel spreadsheet with all the formulas built in. And this is going to be really great for any sales professionals that are listening or even executives who might want to, uh, you know, that are maybe thinking about, uh, you know, getting their sales team trained on social selling, LinkedIn for lead generation and so forth to really realize what kind of results you can produce. So you can go to LinkedIn ROI calculator dot com and download it and you can make that spreadsheet your own by putting in your own numbers based on you know how many prospects are you willing to reach out to on a daily basis on LinkedIn what's an average sale for you what's the lifetime customer value and it'll show you you know the base like the the ROI that you could generate by doing some of the stuff that I've talked to you about today and really you know starting to use LinkedIn as a lead generation tool especially for those in sales I'm stunned and so excited to go download that. You said LinkedIn ROI calculator.com. We will have that yeah. in the show notes as well as your contact information and of course your LinkedIn profile. Um, so Melanie, thank you so much. I knew it took a little time for us to get on this, this interview, but I cannot thank you enough for all of your time, both here on oil and gas this week and the oil and gas careers podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure, James. Thanks so much for asking me. Thanks for listening to this 0.5 episode 
of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Bulwark. You can find the show notes for this episode, including all of Melanie's contact information and details on the LinkedIn code at triberocket.com forward slash top dog. You can also leave any comments or questions you have about this episode there. And that's triberocket.com forward slash top dog. Join us again next time when we talk to another fascinating guest about how their work is shaping the work of the greatest industry on earth. Until then, go find some grease, guys.